0: To bring us all up to speed, we have been in a series called Relationship Status, and we have looked at three significant seasons of relationships. Um, We looked at week one, we looked at being strategically single, and we looked at how, uh, whether we're single or re-single in life, how to honor God in that season. We know it can be hard. It offers some kind of some different difficulties um, but there's a way not just to be single, but to be strategically single, like in Christ we're a new creation, amen? And so we don't believe that just intellectually, we believe that has an effect on how we walk in relationships. And we talked about strategically single, well, the next week we talked about marriage. Come on, you need Jesus in your marriage, somebody. You don't have to raise your hand, I'll raise one hand on behalf of you. All right, um, we do believe that Jesus not, not just makes life better or life easier, we believe, though, that walking in His ways and yielding ourselves to His words, it has an influence on our marriage relationship. and it makes a difference like over the months, over the years, if we're following Christ, our spouses can see that we are growing in fruit of the Holy Spirit, like we're more patient, we're more kind, we're less triggered because we're on a journey to wholeness. Amen. That we can live life healed and whole. And last week uh, we talked about parenting. Good Lord, we made it through parenting. Titled the message, The Power of a Praying Parent. I actually shared a book I use um, almost daily, definitely weekly, a few times throughout the week. It's a small book on prayer. Uh, Five bucks, y'all. Not to me, but to Amazon, okay? Five bucks can get you the power of a praying parent. And that's been a game changer for me. I've just got to be honest. You may think, well, he's a pastor. Sure, he knows how to pray. He's got it all figured out. Like, I have to learn all these things. And I'll tell you, you know, kids, they provide plenty of opportunities to pray. Y'all know that. Like, like I thought I had seen it all. I thought I had lived it all. And then my daughter showed me something new, you know? and The beauty with prayer is it's not in our own strength. It's not in our own strength. It's not in our own uh, abilities, our own intellect. The beauty of prayer is that we partner with God for his ways and his will. And I know you love your kids, but can I tell you, A lot more God loves your kids than even you do. And so to partner with him in prayer is just to really make a difference in their lives. So that's the last three weeks. So today it's like, hey, what relationship is there that we're going to cover? And uh, I don't have a relationship for you. I have all the relationships for you today because I'm going to be speaking on a theme that typically pops up during a relationship series. At least it has for me as a pastor preparing every Sunday. There has been something that I've had to deal with, that I've had to confront, that I've had to reflect and prayerfully consider. And in one word, it packs a punch. It is the word regret. Almost always when we think, when we contemplate about relationships, even when the wind is at our back, When all of our relationships, glory to God, we're looking around and they're all doing great. Moment to moment, season to season, there are these moments, these phases where regret creeps in. And I'm not alone. You're not alone. If you've got breath in your lungs, there's probably regret somewhere on the scene of your life. A season you reflect on, you look back on, and you're kind of in that woulda, shoulda, coulda, somebody. The phrase hindsight is what? 2020. There are just ways we could have done better, ways we could have carried things with more diligence, with maybe a softer touch, with maybe a quieter voice, Or maybe instead of silence, we could have spoke up. We could have come to somebody's defense. Regret is something we all carry, but today, my title is Reframing Regret. While regret is many times on the scenes of our life, I wanna let you know that you don't have to be stuck in regret. You don't have to be stuck in the shame, in the blame, in the woulda, shoulda, coulda of regret. You know, when we think about even the three messages I mentioned, those three relationships, there's probably a, a, a singleness moment or a singleness season. You're like, ah, I, I would have done differently. I, I should have done differently. I, I could have not said what I said. I could have not done what I've done. Ah, but, 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 Hindsight is 2020. Maybe in marriage, whether you're married or remarried, whether single or re-single, you look back and you're like, man, I, I have regretfully experienced the consequences. And as much as we spend time blaming or trying to shame others or even defend ourselves, deep down, kind of in some fragile moments, we think, ah. I might not have 100% ownership but I got 1% ownership. It's that it's that inch if you will of regret and it can get in get in the mind. I know parents, I know parents, uh, whether they're grandparents now, even in some cases great grandparents and they've they've lived life and, and they lo- they're looking back and and they think, "Man, if only I had not chased my career so hard." You know, if, if only I hadn't tried to ugh, make my way up the corporate ladder or advance my career at the expense of my kids. Come on, somebody. You know, there's they're, they're just these fragile places of our soul. And we do have to say to ourselves time to time, like, is this all there is? Like, am I supposed to just carry these rocks of regret through life? Simply put, the answer is you have a choice. You can either buckle under the regret of times past, or you can choose not to delete regret, but to reframe regret. Romans chapter 8 is where I invited us to look at a couple verses. Romans, if you're new to the scriptures, or maybe it's been a season and you're you're new to the Bible, the Bible, um, it's 66 books. Uh, It's got a significant amount of, not 66, but a significant amount of different authors who would write letters. The apostle Paul is the one who wrote this letter, uh, Romans, and he wrote it to a church that was gathering in Rome. And it's, it's a rich, deep, theologically exhaustive book. It's profound in many, many ways. But there's two verses in chapter 8, two verses. Verse number 1 And verse number 28. there's, There's passages in between that are important. But for our context today, Romans 1 and Romans 8, 28, I believe can uphold us when we're walking through regret. Here's Romans 8, chapter 1. Or excuse me, verse 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I have felt personally, the attacks that come with regret. It is a tactic of the enemy of our soul to bring up regret and then to condemn us. Paul is making a profound statement for this church in Rome that 2,000 years on we can apply and appropriate to our own lives. For those in Christ Jesus, we have an invitation we have an opportunity to reframe regret. Because there's not a one of us in here that does not have a moment or several moments, a season or several seasons. We just kind of wish we could take some whiteout to the book of our life. Come on, you remember whiteout? Anybody, somebody? I live by whiteout. All right, anyhow, whiteout. You just want to, you know, on second thought, I don't need to include that. You know, thank God for the delete button Deletes even on Twitter now. Praise God. There's the edit button. But that edit button can save you. You know what I mean? Come on. You know you've texted autocorrect. Has done. Put some words in there. You had no idea you ever used and You sent a text message. Now they've got the undo. Send. Praise Jesus. Well, we have that sometimes in our life because of regret and condemnation. It can feel so overwhelming. We want to just blot it out. Paul knows that in Christ, nothing is wasted. And so where we see a wasted or a broken season, Paul brings up Romans 8:28. He leads us with this phrase, "There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus." And then 8:28, you may know it, and we know that in all things, everybody say all things. One, two, three. All things, all things. All things. Your worst parenting mistake. Your worst marriage moment. Your failure to live strategically single and follow the crowd and follow the broad and wide path of destruction. Even when we were far from Christ, all things, all things, all things, all things, things God works. Here's the deal. We can't work it. I don't know if you found that, but I found it. There's some seasons I can't make an amends for. There's some moments, you know, I apologize, but I'm looking at some of the consequences and I'm thinking, man, how coulda, shoulda, woulda? I wish I could go back. Come on, Marty McFly, get me that DeLorean ASAP. I want to change some things. The deal is, Romans 8, 28 says, God works. And then Here's where he goes, for the good, for the good, for the good, for the good, for those who love him, of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. It's a beautiful picture. Now, here's the deal. This may sound too good to be true, but it is the reality over your and my life is that we serve a God who lovingly, lovingly knew what he was getting into when he called us by name. Like, you know, in new relationships, sometimes you don't tell all your past because you're like, man, I want to get to know you. I want to get to trust you before, you know, we exchange everything. Because what? There's a little regret. There's a little shame. Can I tell you? You're going out for coffee with God. He knows it all. And he's still thr- thrilled to be there. Because he loves you. He sees you. He knows in your worst moment. And he knows in your best moment. And Romans eight twenty eight it forms an anchor for our soul. And you know what anchors do, right? They keep the ship in the same spot. Give or take a little bit, but in the same spot when the waves, when the swells, when the tides go down or tides go up, what happens? The anchor keeps it in the same place. That's what the love of God can do for our soul. That in the moments or seasons where our regret may be catching up with us, when we're flooded or triggered, or we're like, man, I turned on country to get happy. And you listen to that country song, Garth Brooks coming on, man. He's playing the dance. And you're just like, oh, oh, Tears are flooded. You know, the regret seeps in. You're watching a movie, regret. You get a text, regret. You're driving down the road, regret. You go to, you pass somebody, and you're like, oh, regret. It has a way of flooding the system. And here's what the enemy of our soul does just being real, the enemy of our soul, he takes our mistakes and tries to project them into our present. And here's what he does, tries to project it into our future. And we can land up, if we're not careful, we can land up believing a lie about who we are now as daughters and sons of the living God. But in Christ, in Christ, everybody say in Christ. In Christ, God works all things together for good. You're like coming to Hillside. You're like, why are they so ridiculously hopeful? Well, Romans eight twenty eight. Who am I to project? or judge this moment of your story when almighty God is seeing the whole picture and according to his word, he takes our wastelands of regret and he, not us, he has a way of leading us into paths of restoration, paths of reconciliation, paths of redemption that he can create. That's the beauty of us now living in life, living in relationship where, listen, our relationship status, no matter what it is, it doesn't have to be one of regret. Like Jesus really transforms us. He really can reframe some of the broken spaces and places of our lives. And Jeremiah 29, 11 can become a portion over our singleness or resingleness, over our marriage or remarriage or over our parenting. We can begin to get a glimpse that God sees us. He knows us. He's working all things together for our good. And he knows the plans he has for us. Can I tell you, we want to be a people that in every relationship we continue to hold on to hope and not get bound or shackled by regret. Because here's the deal. We all have made mistakes. We have. Man, I talk talk to parents and they wish. They they wish. They're like, man, I wish I hadn't engaged so much in just my kids and have remembered I'm married. Because I gave everything I had to my kids and I forgot my spouse. And I've seen, I've seen people in their singleness, they're like, man, I had no idea the regrets I would carry because I was just living for the moment, doing what felt good in the time. I've seen married couples and I'm like, man, I wish I hadn't chased the career. I wish I had followed The ways of God gave everything in my career, but set up the right boundaries. And when I chose to cheat, I wish I didn't cheat my family, but I cheated on my career because my family is now in a state that I wish I could turn around. Regret's real. It's thick. Not that you feel it in the air, but it's in the air. And here's what's wild. The people we interact with, they're longing for the hope you're hearing about today. They just don't realize it yet. They're drowning, man. You, you, you talk about, they talk about, they talk less about dad guilt than mom guilt, but it's the same kind of guilt. It's like, man, I just regret, I've just done all these things. Here's what we do we learn to go to those spaces and places and trust the Lord that He's faithful. Paul will also talk about in Romans see, man, don't take the grace of God to continue to make more regrets. No, he says, don't, don't, don't live like you just do as you please. But he says, learn to trust the Lord. Learn to obey the Lord and walk in his ways. And life has fewer regrets. Because there's nothing we can do about the past. But there's plenty we can do about our present and our future. And so, you know, we look at Romans. I kind of wish I could say, hey, well, why not turn to Second Regrets chapter 7, verse 22? That is not. That's the 67th Bible (laughs) book of the Bible. Just didn't make the cut. No, I wish there was like a a, a second regrets. Turn to chapter 7:22, and here's a five-point plan. There isn't one. But you know what your Bible is filled with? It's filled with stories that the moment you start reading them, you can see the regret surfacing in the front of the story, and yet the end of the story. He's got the fingerprints of God making a masterpiece out of people's brokenness and despair. I think about the book of Ruth. You've ever heard about the book of Ruth? Now, it's not near Romans. It's several books back the other way in the first testament of scriptures. Quick synopsis of Ruth. It's named after Ruth, who's a, a, a daughter, a wife in the story. But there's three main characters, three ladies, Naomi and Ruth. They're the predominant two. There's another Orpah. So Ruth is a wife and a mom. You've got Naomi, who's a wife. You've got Orpah, who's a wife. Well, the three husbands, they're all taken out. Yeah, the book begins quick. It's fast. Dead. Done. Over. And it reads kind of quick, like a news headline, just today in Moab, three men dead. You know, it just kind of reads kind of quickly. But you go there and you think to yourself, my God, what is this book happening? Why why would you include this in the Bible? Ruth is like epic proportion of despair, disappointment, tragedy. They're in Israel, Bethlehem region, and a famine happens to strike the land. Desperate. They can't go to, to Costco. They can't go to Sam's Club. They can't go to JC. you pick a choice. They can't go to the grocery. There are none. Famine has struck the land. So they move to Moab, and then they move to Moab, and as if famine's not bad enough, now all the breadwinners at that time and in that culture cut down their debt. You have Naomi left, Ruth, and Orpah. Naomi is a mother in law, she lovingly pulls her daughters aside. And she says, listen, daughters-in-law aside, and she says, listen, here's the deal. You're off the hook. You owe me no allegiance. Your husbands are dead. And what? If I'm to have kids now in this late age, you think you could marry one of them? Ain't going to happen. So she said, I'm sorry. This is, this is our lot in life. She even changes her name to despair, sadness, Naomi, I mean, it's all, it's thick, it's on the pages. And you can imagine, regret begins to seep into their mind. How on earth could we move our family across the nation only to now not only have famine, but now our breadwinners are dead? And Orpah takes Naomi up, kindly says, Thank you, I love you, thank you for letting me go back to my family, I'm out of here. Or believes, And in a beautiful, some of the most beautiful poetry and passages of scripture, Ruth clings to Naomi and says, where you go, I'll go. I'll be there. I'm with you all the way, all of what life happens. And so you're reading Ruth and you're kind of scratching your head thinking, y'all don't seem to notice everywhere you go, despair, destruction, frustration, regret, Is all over it. What are you thinking? Don't don't make a move. Stay put. And yet they move back. Naomi moves back to her region. And by the end of the book you're astounded. What are you astounded at? You're astounded at the fact that God. Works all things together for good. For those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That no matter how low things got for Naomi and Ruth, no matter how desperate, defeated, distracted, disappointed, discouraged their souls were, God never left them for one moment. He was carrying them through with his loving right hand, scriptures would say, that he led them into a place of peace and fruitfulness. Just by coincidence, when they arrived back in Israel part of their redemption story was Ruth wanted to put food on the table. So she went, to ha- she went to pick up grain in the fields and then make it into bread and dough and they would make their meals. It just so happened by coincidence. The kingsman, kinsman redeemer was the same field she's harvesting out of. And so the favor of God was poured out, poured out. She lands up marrying Boaz they land up having a child who'd be the grandpa of King David. King David is in the lineage of Christ Jesus, a foreshadowing of the kingsman redeemer. Redeemer Through this story, through these generations, what's taking place? God is writing his generosity, his kindness, his love, his mercy, his peace. And as Joshua's sharing in the ministry moment, if you remember, sometimes if you're anything like me, regret gets you here. And you get stuck defeated, frustrated. You get flooded with all that emotion and you just kind of bum out for a bit. If we're not careful, a regret moment can turn into a regret season. And so what am I proposing? I'm proposing you reframe regret by choosing to see on your weakest, hardest, most difficult moments where you botched up and you messed up, that you would have the cross and appropriate it, put it right smack dab in the middle of that. And say, though I don't know how, though I can't make it happen, God works. God works all things together for good. You may have not known that, but you have permission to do that in Christ. Not in your own strength, but in Christ. And I've seen people, I don't know how, I've seen people walk through situations, through difficulties. For uh, Regret is is a subtle word. It's a softer word than how they may describe part of their journey, but I've seen them reframe regret and almost always they've been able to do uh, these things that I'm about to highlight. Almost always these are, are fruit, if you will, of their life. Somehow they found a way through a, a lot of prayer, through a lot of reflection, through a lot of therapy sometimes, somebody, through being in a small group, somebody, through life. The healing hand of God has moved in their life. And I can't rush you into these. I can't hold a Bible to you, angle it just right and shake it in your face to these things. I can only invite you to consider that people who've somehow healed and began to reframe regret, they found a way to forgive themselves. They found a way to forgive themselves they found a way that Ephesians chapter 2 4 through 5 begins to be appropriated not to everybody else but to themselves then when they look back at the at the parent that was when they get discouraged or they get defeated or they get disappointed not as a cop out but as a christian holding on to hope because of the work of the cross and the resurrection of the savior they find a way to appropriate the mercy of god over their own soul and they can admit yeah i missed it yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I wish I could go back. The shoulda, woulda, coulda still's around. But I want to let you know I found a way to forgive myself and make peace. That Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Ephesians chapter 2, 4 through 5. Ephesians isn't far from the book of Romans. It's also written by Paul. Oh, and by the way, Paul, who wrote Romans and Ephesians and several other New Testament books, he's on the wrong side of the first persecution against the church. The first Christian martyr ever outside of Christ is a man by the name of Stephen. And Stephen is killed And Paul gave authority for Stephen to be killed. In fact, scriptures say that they laid the clothes of Stephen at Paul's feet. You talk about some regret, somebody. Paul was carrying it daily, so what did he do? He found a way to recognize that God visited him in his lowest moments, in his most broken moments. And he applied the mercy of heaven that he was famous for sharing with everybody else, it had first taken root in his own life. Paul would write these words, because of his, not my, Paul was always pointing it to Christ, always leading it to Christ, because he knew it was his mercy that he could move forward. For many people struggling with regret, for many people maybe feeling stuck with regret, You can't move forward because you keep looking back. You don't have to live like Lot's wife, leaving Sodom and Gomorrah, if you're familiar with the story. She turned into a pillar of salt. Pillar of a salt, symbolically, it's preserved in a place of stuckness. She can't move forward. She's stuck. And she's looking back at what was. That's what regret can do. But I've found people, I've had to learn this. Sometimes it takes practice, a lot of practice. Reminding myself daily of the mercy of God, the grace of God, the peace of God, the hope of God. And then reminding myself, I won't know how, I won't know why, I won't be able to figure out all the details. Somebody, if you like control, you won't know all the details, but you can trust and hope that God works all things together for good. And people I've known like that, they've got to forgive themselves first. And then, no rush to this, no Bible in your face, no gun to your head, nobody pushing you overboard saying, take the jump. But they find a way to forgive others. Some of you right here, you've walked through things that if we were to have a cup of coffee and you were to share them with them, I'd probably fall over thinking, how did you find a way to forgive that person? But I found people... That have found a way to forgive others. That that the same book, Ephesians, but this time not in chapter 2, in chapter 4. They make this statement. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other. Like those three words they found to come alive in their life. After what he did. After what she did. After what they did. They found a way to forgive and you're thinking, what? And then you remember... Paul would write, Those moments are the power of God unto salvation. Those moments are the foolishness of the cross. That when everybody else is being like, Honey, I don't know how you forgive, they are as guilty as guilty as guilty. And you say, It's not by my works. It's by God who can work all things together for good. It's real. It's real. Sometimes you get that text. Like this week, you're going to get that text. You're like, my kid is doing what again? My my spouse is doing what? My ex-spouse is doing what? My ex-boyfriend, my ex-girl, they do what? And you're just thinking, man, I wish we had never met. And you start going on that reel of regret. I want to encourage you. You have a way now to reframe regret. There's no condemnation over what was. Because you're in Christ Jesus who's working all things together for good. All things. I can't tell you how. I can't tell you when. I can't tell you why. And that's because you're the apple of God's eye. That's because he loves you despite all the baggage you bring to the table. He's not intimidated one bit. I'm convinced the judgment seat of Christ is the safest place to be. Because his depths and width of mercy is so profound, we can scarcely understand it. It's amazing grace that finds its way to kindly weave its way into our stories. And it leads me to that final forgiving ourselves, forgiving others. But here's the deal. As Jesus came face to face with a woman clothed in regret, the prostitute that they had brought for him to condemn and for them to kill in a moment's time. And he said, let him who is without sin throw the first stone. You remember that story? And Jesus is writing his dinner menu in the sand. He's doing something. And he looks up and he says, woman, neither do I condemn you. That's the first kind of two pieces. But here's the last part. Go and sin no more. We've got to be people who commit to change. We've got to be people who commit to change. We've got to be people to commit to change. Surprise your spouse. Say, baby, I didn't know it was possible. But pastor said, I can commit to change. I come on be different this time next year. How are you going to be different? I'm going to be more patient. I'm going to be kinder. I'm going to get two remotes for the same TV so we can share channels. <laughs> like you can walk up to your kids and be like, I love you. I forgive you. And I'm going to try to do better. I'm sorry. That was, my kids will tell you. That's about the favorite phrase around the house. In Jesus' name, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Those are by two, by two quotes. Because I'm committed to change. Like, I'm following Jesus. Like, there's a lot of things, a lot of ways, a lot of people telling us how to do life. And we can follow them. But don't be surprised if you uh, reap what they sow. Follow Jesus the way of the cross is to commit to change. It's to commit to change. It's to commit to change. Like, I'm a spouse, and I plan on loving my wife better next year than this year. Not because I'm bad this year. No, I'm awesome. I'm just going to get awesomer. Like, I am so sweet. You're like, man, you're so positive, kind, and uplifting. I love this church. Well, just wait till next year. Come back in a year. No, don't. Come back next Sunday. But you know what I mean. Like, in a year, we can expect to be transformed, to change. Because here's the deal. I'm not proposing you live with more regrets. I'm not saying, ooh, regrets so fun. Let's make more of them. No, please don't hear that in this message. I'm saying that we can reframe what was and by God's grace, we can step into what will be marked by the kindness, the love, the hope, the peace of God. That we can step into that abundant life that he has freely given you and me to experience. But it takes not doing it in our own strength. It takes us partnering with him to commit to change. Like to commit to being conform to Christ's likeness that Paul said is possible. Like some days I'll be real. I'll make it really hard for God, but other days it gets easier. And what are we doing? We're doing what the doctor did this last week when you visited him. We're doing like the law lawyers do. You know what's on. They got certificates to say it. What are they doing? Practicing medicine. Like, how discouraging is that? You showed up, the surgeon, I'm practicing surgery on you. No, not on me, man. You figured it out. You do that on me. Don't practice, that. Nah. No, people can make a great living just practicing. Can I tell you, in Christianity, we think we somehow have arrived. No, you're saved. Great. You're saved and now commit to change. You got to practice this thing. You're going to practice reframing regret. Because guess what? Tomorrow going to come to nip you in the bud. You need to smack it away and remind the enemy when he comes to tell you about your past. You just remind him of his future. And remind him of your future in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thanks for this time. I thank you for every person under the sound of my voice. And Lord, you know better than I have spoken. I sound like I figured it out. And I have it. But one thing I have figured out, and that's that I can keep coming to you, and the door is always open, and you are always available, and you are always faithful. And Lord, for some in this room, they need to just know again that the door is always open, that, Father, your ear is bent towards them, and for some, Lord, regret is just the tip of the iceberg of what they've experienced. Father, I pray that your love would not just be a cliche or a four-letter word to mix in the phases of life. I pray, God, that it would be the bedrock of our identity, that we would know we are loved by you. And despite the names that regret comes to call us, we get to silence that voice of the accuser. And we get to tell our story of how, yeah, we've got regret, but we know the one who is reframing it on our behalf. Yeah, we've made mistakes. Yeah, we missed the mark. Yeah, we've done some things we wish could be whited out from the story that you are writing. But Lord, we hold out in hope knowing that you are working all things together for our good. And Lord, I just declare that over every person under the sound of my voice, with all that they brought to the table of life today, that you are working all things together for their good. We thank you again for your mercy. We thank you again for your hope. We thank you for your permission to be ridiculously joyful people day in and day out because it's not contingent on our circumstances. It's contingent on your love for us that never changes. We thank you for that, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you all so much.